This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. the uh, Supreme Court ruling uh, six to three that the subsidies uh, from the Affordable Care Act should continue. We have uh, called on a couple of our friends to hustle on over and join us. And joining us here in the studio are from Mark Pauley, uh, Professor of Healthcare Management here at, uh, at the Wharton School and also Professor of Business Economics and Public Policy. And also uh, Robert Town, who's an Associate Professor of Healthcare Management here at uh, Wharton as well. Uh, great to see you both. Mark, great to see you. It's, to been, see you it's, been, it's been way too long. Yeah, right. uh, Bob, it's been a while since I've actually seen you. Great to see you as well. My pleasure. Uh, the decision, six to three by the justices. Surprised, not surprised? Uh, where do you fall on that? Uh, not surprised. I mean, it, it was clear that it was a drafting error and, yeah. and, 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 you know, it wasn't intended, you know, law wasn't intended to restrict subsidies on, on the federal exchange. And it was interpreted by that, you know, in that way by HHS. And so it seems, you know, pretty straightforward, you know, decision. Mark? I, I think, you know, I think most of the speculation recently was that it would come down this way. And actually, the numbers are pretty much as predicted. I have to say I signed on as a friend of the court for, on the administration side. So I'm um, and you're naturally tempted to predict what you want to have happen. Uh, so I, I predicted it would come out this way. But I'm not surprised. This is clearly a, it seems uh, to, uh, to me, as a non-lawyer, but just a, yeah. a, a person who at least thinks they can read and think that this was a drafting error. Somebody, yeah. somebody screwed up and forgot to do the uh, do the cut and paste properly in writing the <laughs> law. And there's, uh, as not to rehash, but the kind of 11th hour character of getting the law passed and then the inability to go back and do any kind of real reconciliation all contributed to it. But it, it seems clear that this can't be what any sense person would have intended in writing a piece of legislation so uh, uh, this, that, and that seemed to be mostly what the chief justice said in his opinion in the little summary i've seen this truly did seem like this was the ultimate hail mary right here a last ditch effort by the people that that wanted to see the affordable care act pulled out uh you know and, and at but, least if they're going to use the courts to do it right I think, exactly I think yeah this this returns uh the discussion to probably where it should be, which is in the legislature, and Congress can obviously change this in the future uh, if it can get a president to sign it, but but uh, yeah, lawyer, lawyers and judges really um, shouldn't, in my opinion, be playing a very much larger role than this. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, I, I guess now, uh, where we go forward with the Affordable Care Act in, in terms of uh, the number of states that do not have their own health exchanges and whether or not we will see uh, any kind of an increase in this area over the next few years. My guess is you're going to see more states transition to the federal exchange. There's yeah. some small states, Rhode Island, Connecticut, where the scale might be such that they're better off kind of just you know handing over duties to the, the federal exchange. You're seeing it in Oregon and Maryland. So, you know, I, I think that you're going to see kind of movement. because because they don't want to have to deal with it anymore. Or? It's expensive and, yeah. and, and having some scale there is important and, and running it, you know, as you saw on the rollout is, is challenging. You know, you saw Oregon, you know, their, their exchange meltdown and now they've handled, you know, their functions over to the feds. So um, and, and I think that'll be you'll see that trend. Also, health care is really a third rail issue, and I think a lot of sensible politicians uh, <laughs> probably think that they'd 
there's, if there's going to be blame to go around, they'd rather have it be on the federal government than, than on themselves. Now, yeah. there are those, of course, who would view um, being the crusader for insurance as a, a path to being a governor, even a secretary of health and human services. But, uh, but I think m- many of them, especially the Republican-dominated states, which, of course, are the majority of the states, given that they have to do this or have it done, and there's good reason they want their citizens to qualify for subsidies, they'd rather uh, put the dirty work on somebody else rather than I have to take responsibility for it. And as you allude to, you know, we're getting closer to the fall elections, not obviously the national elections for 2016, but, you know, at the local level, at the state level, and it's not something that that a lot of politicians probably want to have to deal with right now when they're talking about, you know, having to worry about an election coming up in, you know, four or five months. Yeah, not only that, a lot of the subsidies that were part of the Affordable Care Act to kind of sweeten the deal are going to go away. So, uh, you know, if I was a politician, which I thank God will never be, uh, I I would uh, would want to get get out of of this hot seat. I think we'd love to have you as a politician (laughs) these days. You do a good job. Absolutely. Uh, We're joined uh, here in the studio by uh, Robert Town, who's Associate Professor of Healthcare Management. Uh, Also, uh, Mark Pauly, uh, Professor of Healthcare Management, both here uh, at the Wharton School. Your comments and uh, questions are more than welcome to join in. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. The Supreme Court making their decision uh, earlier today to uh, uphold the uh, health law subsidies uh, as part of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. This debate obviously has been going on for quite some time, and, and I don't I don't even know if this happening today is going to end this debate. I mean, it, it has been such a political hot potato for so long that I, I don't think we're going to see the, the conversation about the Affordable Care Act dwindle in any way, shape, or form. Do you? I don't, I, but I do think the Republicans are running out of bullets, uh, and so the sure only way like it, yeah. the only way that that they're going to get meaningful change to the law is if they're able to get strong majorities in the legislature and and you know elect a Republican president. Um, and even then, it's unclear what you replace it with that looks that much different. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I was talking to Mark before we came over that if you put the Republicans in a in a, a clo- uh, locked room and had them draft their own law, it would probably look similar with some important changes. Yeah, you know, maybe reducing the you know getting rid of the individual mandate and the employer mandate, um, and maybe some you know other kind of you know the medical device tax and some of those features. But the broad picture would probably look pretty similar. I think as well. I think the uh, now, of course, in retrospect, useless discussion of what what might happen if the court decided the other way yeah. did serve to indicate that Republicans were not unanimous. Not all of them wanted yeah. a scorched earth policy, wipe out the whole thing, and go back to the status quo ante. Uh, there was a pretty good uh, bit of support for uh, the idea that uh, government ought to help people who can't afford insurance afford insurance, and some of the other features of the act that are more regulatory are are, are more debatable. But I think uh, the, the I, that that the, what if if any if there was any consequence of, of of what we've been through in the last few months, it was to show that um, there's a substantial difference of opinion uh, or difference of what people think is politic to say, uh, even amongst Republicans. Uh, I'm going to throw in a comment that actually uh, I mentioned to you before. You know, when when this went down, 
being, being a radio talk show host, you get pitched all kinds of different people that you know want to uh, throw their their two cents into the ring. I, I, throw in a comment that obviously has come from the other side of uh, of the barrel. Uh, the person's name is uh, Ridaparna Bassa, who is the healthcare policy expert at the Ayn Rand Institute. Here's the comment. It's unfortunate the Supreme Court has upheld Obamacare subsidies, but the problem with this law has never been with the technical details of how it's implemented. The problem with Obamacare is its moral premise that some people have moral obligation to fund health care uh, of others and that the government has the authority to force them to do so. I, I hear that, and I'm just like, the, the, there, there's certainly a, a loss of understanding that there are people out there that that do need help. You know, in, in, you need to try and help the people as much as you can, as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the the whole premise of the law is that that I mean, at least a good chunk of the premise of the law is that that uh, access to health insurance is primarily through or access to health care is primarily through health insurance, and and many people can't afford health insurance, and so if you're going to have people access health care, you need to subsidize health insurance for them, and and. I mean, that's. I think it's kind of that simple. Well, I mean, we're only economists; we're not ethicists. But people, people can uh, believe whatever they want, and I, I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I, I would differ, but I wouldn't criticize somebody for having a particular point of view. But uh, this is a democracy, so yeah. the issue is not what um, somebody at an institute thinks uh, is moral, but what how many people agree with that. And uh, uh, my perception has been over the years that uh, the great majority of people do feel some concern for the health of their fellow human beings and are willing to pony up some amount of money uh, to subsidies or contributions to to try to keep that from being uh, 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 bad when there's effective treatment. And this was a, the Obamacare was a vehicle, maybe not the best vehicle, although I think it was fairly well designed uh, for targeting help to the people who need help uh, uh, in order to achieve that goal. Uh, because of the ambiguity in a way of how much help does a person really need? Yeah, uh, it, the, it's as you said, going to continue to be debated. Sure, but uh, but at least the principle that a lot of people actually are willing to help their fellow human beings, not principle, but the fact, I think, is pretty well established. Joining us also uh, for a few minutes is uh, Rob Field, who is uh, from Drexel University School of Public Health. He's a professor of uh, health management and policy over there. Uh, Rob, great to talk to you again, and and welcome back. Yeah. To the show, uh, uh, no problem. Uh, just uh, some comments first on you uh, on the decision uh, six to three by the justices, and and if you've had the chance to hear any of the comments from uh, the court as to why that decision was made in that particular manner. Yeah, well, from what I've seen, I think the business issue is a big one, the disruption and the feeling of Roberts who wrote the decision that Congress would not have wanted to disrupt. Uh, insurance markets. And therefore, if, if you read the ambiguous phrase, uh, you should read it in favor of maintaining those markets, uh, which was the purpose of the law. Um, so I think the, the business issue was a big one here. And, and getting back to that comment from the Anne Rand Institute, um, you could say that this is helping people buy something. You could also say that this is upholding a, a public good, which is individual insurance markets, and that it, it's a method for doing that rather than simply charity for people. Uh, I think that argument influenced uh, Kennedy and Roberts, the two conservatives who sided with the majority, uh, more than the other. 
Uh, Rob, had you seen anything in the justices comments that, that kind of caught your attention at this point? No. Uh, well, I haven't had a chance okay. to read the, the, the opinion in very much detail. I was looking at blogs uh, on the way on the train and, uh, but, but my, my, my sense is that, that the fear of the disruption probably played a pretty big role. And, and that disruption would have been massive. It, it would have been rather large, would it not have been, Mark? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the biggest problem is that uh, the people who are subsidized uh, uh, because they couldn't afford insurance, well, if with the subsidy goes away, now they can't afford insurance. And that would return this individual market to uh, its kind of small boutique really mm, totally weird <laughs> character uh, beforehand yeah. uh, and uh, and then there's also because the because the provision of the legislation that would remain requires insurers to charge everyone the same premium at a given age regardless of risk uh, there was a, a, a worry that uh, the, the the low risks would leave and the high risks would stay and that would cause premiums to rise uh, for the re remaining people in the market. Yeah. Now, uh, it's important to say that the fraction of our total population in this market is tiny. It's less than yeah. 10 percent. So uh, so I, that's why I believe that the, this uh, concern for your fellow citizen is probably maybe I'm just re rehashing <laughs> my own personal opinion, but is more important than disruption of a market that actually what was became a little more important after the ACA than before, but wasn't really the main way in which Americans get health insurance. Right. But for those for that segment, for like, those for those people, for those 10 million people. People or so. Yeah. This matters an awful lot, and I think we care about them. Yeah, the, about uh, seventy percent, over seventy percent of these folks are getting subsidies, right? So if you yep. were to, to, if the the court ruled differently, then it would be a pretty big disruption. Now, of course, the detail about how they would rule differently would matter. You know, would they give uh, a lag time, and, and you know, these are all kind of. Uh, issues that are you know, are not relevant anymore, but but you know if they just shut down the subsidies for those on uh, getting their uh, health insurance on the federal exchange, then then it would be a massive disruption. I mean, it's very rare actually that the government does something that allows you to sleep better at night, but in this case, it did. <laughs> we don't have to worry about this anymore. Well, and, and uh, to uh, Rob Field, uh, we had talked before you had joined us about uh, what kind of changes we might see. Uh, because of this ruling, and uh, the the thought was brought up that we may even see more uh, states decide to do away with their own exchange in favor of the federal exchange. Do you see that as a good possibility as well? Yes, I, I definitely think so. Um, a lot of states have been having a lot of difficulty and have wanted help from the federal exchange, and pending this decision, they didn't know what to do. Uh, they didn't know if they asked for federal help, whether that would sabotage the, the whole arrangement. Um, now they're free to do that. So I think we'll see uh, several states do that. And, and it's ironic in a way because the original intent of the law was that every state would have its own exchange. Yeah. And now we're moving to the opposite of a single federal marketplace. That's Robert Field, who is uh, with Drexel University, also a lecturer here at the uh, Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania and a senior fellow at the, the Leonard Davis Institute for Health Economics. I, I guess, uh, gentlemen, the uh, Mark, the, the question then becomes is, if we do see a shift back towards the federal exchange, what kind of a time frame are, are we looking at for states to start to, to do away with their own exchanges at the state level? Well, I, I think some states will, will jump the first chance they can do it. Uh, but others, like California, they're just having so much fun, the regulators <laughs> out there, that they'll probably hang in there. But I, I think you'll see uh, a, a, a growth in 
a movement toward the federal exchanges happened fairly quickly. There's no reason uh, there's no reason to wait yeah. now anymore, as as Rob mentioned, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a chance to hand off a hot potato. Well, you're talking about what 34, 35 states, something like that, that have their own exchange. Will we see that number potentially cut in in, in half by the, the start of 2016? I think right now there's 34 federal states on the federal marketplace. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. so I think the the states that are that are uh, having good success, they'll remain there: New York, California. Um, uh, I think Connecticut is kind of on. They're small, but they're doing well. Um, but some of the smaller states are just going to migrate. Yeah. It's just a. It's a. It's a. Or there are some that are not so small, but are kind of basket cases: Oregon, Maryland, yeah. Minnesota, yeah, uh, even Kentucky, which was kind of a poster child. Some of the bloom seems to be going off of that rose. So, uh, and of course, the politics in Kentucky, if they shift to more Republican, that it would push it more in that direction. So, so I think it, it, it's uh, reasonable to expect that. Uh, uh, a federal exchange will be more common. And as long as the Republicans are able to maintain a kind of blocking coalition in Washington, uh, they could b- uh, keep the federal exchange from being uh, overly aggressive or doing non-Republican kinds of things like <laughs> regulating premiums and so forth, which some of the states would dear, uh, some of the more uh, liberal states would dearly love to do. What do you see? Go ahead, Rob. I'm sorry, it's also expensive to set up an exchange, yep. and the federal subsidies for that have run out. Uh, so it's economically in state's interest to just throw it in the federal government's lap. What do you see, uh, uh, Rob uh, Field, as probably the, the, the one or two things that that probably should be addressed in terms of things that need to be changed on the federal exchange going forward into 2016? I think they, they pretty much have their house in order after the debacle when they launched it uh, with yeah. the computer glitches. They, they they seem to have fixed that, and it's running reasonably smoothly. I think the biggest threat has nothing to do from the legal side. It's what's happening in the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. The consolidation of companies is potentially a threat to competition, which is needed to hold down prices. Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest issue going forward. Bob? Yeah, I think uh, I think Robin, you know, nailed it on the head. I think you know. I think now the federal exchange is in kind of refinement mode. Like, how do we make it work a little bit better? Yeah. It works generally pretty well. Things like decision support could be improved on on, on the federal exchange. Um, I think that's something that folks are going to look at. But uh, broadly, it's kind of working as it was designed to work. Mark, I, I think that's probably right. I think that the uh, of course it's hard to predict, but I think the, the the debate in the future may be about the most popular plans on the exchanges. The bronze and silver yeah. plans have very substantial out of pocket payments, and people are starting to say, well, uh, those could be harmful. Well, they always are, sure. after the fact. If you guessed wrong and you bought a bronze plan and you get really sick, uh, and uh, uh, so I think that the debate. And I think um, appropriately may move toward um, thinking more about the configuration of policies that we want to allow people to have. I actually wrote a piece for Rob Field's blog asking, uh, do we really want to allow low-income people to choose high-deductible, high-cost-sharing health plans? Um, I think we ought to have that discussion. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.